Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, so this morning after the uh, Grammys uh, last night, which essentially is a concert, um, you have Joni Mitchell, who at the age of 80 uh, sang, uh, remind a lot of people of uh, Love Actually, both sides, which is, if you watch Love Actually, is sung in that. But the Tracy Chapman, Luke Combs getting together for Fast Cars, because when Luke Combs made that a hit this year, people were outraged that Tracy Chapman was not getting credit. Yeah. Those two together last night, man, that was electric. That is one of those songs that I think can play anywhere. Doesn't matter what kind of music you like, you hear that song, and that has a feel to you. I thought it was so cool because, you know, Tracy Chapman has been out of the spotlight for a long time. And I, and I, and, and as somebody who saw her in concert and, and really likes her music, um, I don't even think that's her best song. I think Talking About a Revolution is her best song, which was released in the late 80s. But she had not been in the public eye for a long time. And then last night, they did one of those, those weird you know, Grammys when you have a, a, a duet. Sometimes yeah. when you put them together, it just is, it just, it's just a mess. They were fantastic last night together. And the ovation from the people that were there in Los Angeles, man, to see Tracy Chapman and what that meant to her, I got feels, man. I almost got tears in my eyes because it's one of the, like, you know, everybody will look at the, and, and you know, the current music, some people are like, nah, Travis Scott, do something new. You know, they've got their favorite, um, favorite vocalists and, you know, their genre. And everybody say, wow, look at the range on that person's voice. I will tell you, I have thought this for the longest time, is that songs are bangers. If they feel, if you feel a connection to them, if they make you feel something, not, hey man, they hit that high note. If they make you feel something, that is an absolute banger. And that song, whether it be Tracy Chapman singing or Luke Combs or those two together last night, man, you get into your feels. I almost did last night. Almost, I'm, I like almost had tears. And it wasn't because of the bad officiating in the Nebraska game. <laughs> I don't know if I had as much appreciation for the Tracy Chapman version of it when I was growing up. Like to, to be totally honest, like in music that was in the eighties, early nineties, uh, I that original was, is good drinking music. What's that? That song. Oh yeah. Oh, that's good drinking music. So yeah. yeah I'm it was, I, th- I think just because it was a very mellow song and I was at that age where I needed everything to be so upbeat, but kind of what you said there, Gary, as you get older and it, it, I don't want to say it, it took Luke Combs sort of reviving the song itself to kind of remember it, but yeah, I would say like now I have more of appreciation to music that is a little bit more. Again, doesn't have to be upbeat in your in your face aggressive because as as we hopefully evolve as, as humans, you can you have places in your life for those those moments that you want to hear that music, and then other times for something that's a little bit more mellow, a little bit more easy listening. And I I, I just listened to it like a couple minutes of it there during the break too. I thought Luke Combs when he first came out with this this year. Like it sounded very good. It was just, but to me, it was always kind of like, this is weird because I always knew this, even though I didn't remember it or try to 
cherish the song. I knew this is a Tracy Chapman song. This is this is how we all knew Tracy Chapman. And yet probably didn't appreciate it as much until someone else sings it. And then you're kind of like, wait a minute. Is that are you, are you doing that person a service? Are you honoring that song? So to see them come out together to collaborate like that, that's pretty cool because he did. A, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like he didn't do a good job of it when it came out. It was just kind of different. It wasn't what I was used to growing up when I first heard it. And then when you hear her and him together, it's like, wow, that actually comes together very, very nicely. So if you're going to go about it that way, I mean, if you're going to if you're going to remake a great song, one that was obviously very, very popular, especially in my day, too. And you're able to collaborate with the original artist and it sounds sort of seamless like what I was catching it did. Then that's that's the way you have to go. Yeah, anytime it makes you feel connection between now and then, I mean, that song, yeah. man, that, that song's a banger. That song did a, a, a lot to a lot of people uh, last night. May have forced Jay Z to drink even more. <laughs> well, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, did you, Jimmy? Did you watch it all? Uh, I did not, but man, yet I'm a you man say on that. A lonely Island. I saw the, the Jay Z thing. I saw the Miley Cyrus thing. Like literally watched five minutes of this thing and caught some of these highlights, except. Didn't miss that. I would have liked to have seen the song. I do like that song. So, I wonder how many eh, teenage high school kids we've been binging Succession. So that hopefully had a, maybe a chance to see that and be like, oh, so that's the original artist of that because they probably know that song is a Luke Combs song and knew that it was a remake. But probably you know, I know when I was that age and there was like, oh, this is a remake of an old song. I never usually went back and listened to the original song. So to, then to see the original artist collaborate with the newer artist that did the remake, that's kind of cool. And, and hopefully that, that gives a little bit more respect to Tracy Chapman and, and rolling that out. Because, yeah, that, I mean, that was you're right. There's there's more songs to her catalog if you probably saw her. But for a lot of us, I mean, that was how we knew Tracy Chapman was Fast Car. And yeah, that, that was that, that's a that's a cool collaboration right there. Uh, another thing over the weekend that I uh, have come to a conclusion about in life in general. You guys like to know? I'd love to know. We need more replay. We need more reviews in college basketball. God, I hope you're. They're not long enough. We do. Uh, We we absolutely do. (laughs) We we need to spend. Please God, no. College basketball is really right now put in a two hour and five minute window. Mm -hmm. We need to expand it to about two and a half hours because college basketball is better when we have reviews. Oh, we need more replay. Anybody that says anybody that says no, we don't. Well, isn't the whole thing about getting it right? I mean, who did not embrace the last half hour of the Creighton Butler game? <laughs> who Such did a not, great game. Who did not that. embrace the Iowa State Baylor reviews? College basketball is better when we have more replay and we have more reviews and we have more guys that wear striped shirts and gals that are looking into a computer to monitor and then some places where they talk into a microphone, mm-hmm. and they're right up on you. Yep. Like that, that. That's scary, by the way. Like we uh, we saw in the uh, the Big 12 over the uh, weekend. Yeah. Uh, as you can tell, I'm being very, very... No, maybe I'm not. No, well, maybe hey, you, you want to get it right? So, no. Please, God, no. So last night, um, well, we were going to talk both about Nebraska and, and Creighton and their, their weekend on the hardwood. So I, if you, again, as I said in the open, step away from the game... Look at the box score and tell me how Nebraska was in that game. Now, Nebraska was over their skis shooting the three. They hit 13 of them. Usually, they're about nine and a half a game. Casey Curry was just throwing them up mm-hmm. there. But they were... He was hot. They had nine more fouls than the fighting Illini. 
They had uh, they got badly out rebounded once again. Mm-hmm. Yet they were still in that game. That I I I have mixed emotions here because I know there will be well they went on the road and they played hard. I'm like man they still have some issues. They didn't turn the ball over, but boy they got their ass kicked on the glass. Yeah. And then I'm like you know what that team fought. That team almost found a way to win the game, overcoming some obstacles that you do when you're playing on the road in college basketball or in the Big Ten. I'm like, I'm kind of mixed. But I've always said, they're in the NCAA tournament. Don't play yourself out of the tournament. And even though they didn't win last night and they still haven't won on the road in the Big Ten, they that was a showing that I think if people will remember because of they got the game to overtime when I thought it was going to go south. Mm-hmm. They finished with an 11-1 run. They got it to the extra session, had a chance, and just came up short last night. Yeah, and they did it again in a way where you had a new cast of characters that were heavily involved. I mean, there, obviously there was Casey, but Rink Mass was, was big in that one too. Even with C.J. Wilcher not giving you the same type of production off the bench, uh, you know, Sam Hoiberg not giving you the same type of production offensively that maybe you would want to get. But if you kind of look at how the game played out, it did, it had the, the makings of, especially when Illinois got up to the nine point lead, eventually gets into double digits and you're thinking, okay, well, this was fun while it lasted. And, and it was, it was just a weird vibe going into this because unlike some of the previous road games where I think there was some optimism, go back to Maryland, go back to, I mean, even the Wisconsin game to an extent, but also, you know, the, the Rutgers game where you felt like from a matchup standpoint, the Nebraska would be able to, show up and at least have an opportunity to, to be there at the end. I just don't know how – I know I wasn't. I don't know how many people were really giving Nebraska much of a chance, given the fact that they had that great moment against Wisconsin, you know, using everything they had to come back from a 19-point deficit to win that game in overtime, and then to show up against Illinois where – and again, and, and give, give Casey a lot of credit too early on because he kind of paced the offense, but – you could kind of tell throughout that game that Nebraska wasn't really going anywhere, and yet you did see some of those things that had typically led Nebraska to some road struggles, like like the offensive rebounding part of it. I mean, once you continue That'll to see that, it, it, it's not. And, and that's the thing. I think even hearing Fred's tone last night compared to previous nights when that's happened, you could tell he's kind of accepted that as long as they can minimize what that does, what that actually does to the team. And, and he talks about the two things that they – turnovers and offensive rebounding. If they're winning both of those, they're winning the game. If they're winning one of them, they're close. If they're losing both of them, they're getting their, their ass kicked. And, well, turnovers were, were yeah, listen, at a minimum. Last night, Nebraska was who Nebraska is. They just played really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And they hit some threes. And Tominaga showed up. Ironically – with the majority of the night, Shannon guarding him, right. and Casey was unconscious. Unfortunately, Wilcher and Williams weren't like they were on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Nebraska has always had issues. They're not very athletic. Okay, Sometimes they get lost on defense. Josiah Alec, love you, babe. You got a ton of energy. Man, you get lost. You're, 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 somebody, somebody's got to put a tracker on you because he'll be all over the place because he's got all this energy. And sometimes it'll benefit where he's up on a guy and he'll force a bad shot or a block or something, mm-hmm. but... A lot of the times he's like scrambling. Yeah. So not having a true point guard or just the true five that's not a pick-and-pop five, but a guy that hangs under the glass and bangs, those things are there every single game. But you can overcome them. And Nebraska last night overcame at least part of them by playing extremely hard until it was not enough to get 
an offensive rebound right. or or block out so that Illinois doesn't get an offensive rebound or at the end of the game to get into the proper set to run the proper play where I've got the ball, I won't be taking the shot, but I'm going to facilitate for you. Yep. The end of the game. So the whole officiating thing is I've said it for a while now. We've got an officiating problem in college basketball. I will always want the human element. I understand the judgment call, but sometimes they're just, a rule is a rule. Like, you can't pull a Caitlin Clark if you're not a Caitlin Clark and mm-hmm. move your feet 16 different times and get away with it. Yeah. That's called mm-hmm. travel. The masked one, I, I don't know what went through Rink's head. Because he paused. And if he shoots it right away, yeah. there's maybe the possibility that Shannon bumps into him. But I think once he hesitated and Shannon reached in, you knew that wasn't going to be a call. Mm-hmm. The one that the one that I'm really having a hard time with, because it wasn't called earlier in the game, that's all I want is consistency, I know you're going. is the Wiltshire yeah. foul yeah. at the end of regulation. It was soft contact. Man, you you don't call that stuff the majority of the game, and then in the last five minutes of regulation and overtime, you're gonna whistle that? Yeah. That's that wasn't a foul at the beginning of the game. Why is it a foul at the end of the game? That's all that's all I want. Yep. Okay. The masked one, I'm not losing my mind. I know some are, and I've gotten screenshots. Mass didn't help himself. Right. And and you're on the road, you're in the Big Ten, you you they're gonna they're gonna, you know, swallow. The Wiltshire one, though, man, that's the, that's the one that stings. Well, and the Wiltshire one, it, there, there are two examples of assuming contact. That was one of them. And then if you go to overtime, it was right after, it wouldn't have been Casey's last two free throws. It was, so it, have been, it would have been point twenty eight twenty nine for Casey. And it's, you know, it, I felt like that game was like a three-point game in, in overtime the entire way. But it was in the last minute. So they get the two free throws, Illinois inbounds, and you get Sam Hoiberg, and I'm trying to remember who else trapped, but Hoiberg is able to to get to the the basketball, jump and ball. it should have been a jump ball. Should have been a jump ball. They, I think, right there again. That was, in my opinion, and same thing with the C.J. Wilcher call. The official was assuming contact. It was a it was a total bailout call, but the official was assuming that there wasn't hands in the ball, but there were there was some type of contact that constituted a foul. That's that's my major issue with that is. If it's a foul and, and your eyes tell you that's exactly what it is, and, and these officials are, are far better than I'll, I'll ever be at being able to, to do that, you blow the whistle. But in those two moments there, I think they assumed contact. I think they yep. assumed that it was going to be there. It wasn't, and you saw a tie-up, and you just assumed, okay, there was probably contact before that, when if you watch the replay, there really wasn't. Hands were on the ball. The C.J. Wilcher one was, there was very, there, there was contact. Okay, I, I, I'm with you. It's... If that is called earlier, I have no problem with that. It was extremely soft there, and I think, again, the official thought there would be more definitive contact than, the, than what there was, so it came across as a very yeah. soft-looking foul. That's what, assuming the contact, and I don't like we that. We are teetering in college basketball of just a major explosion. You had the Chris Collins incident with Courtney Green, mm-hmm. Northwestern at Purdue. Um, Mick Rhodes, I imagine the Baylor AD is going to get hammered financially. His coach got ejected down in Waco against yeah. Iowa State. For there box were, violations. There were three real soft technicals that were given out in that game, and he went off after the game. 
Now, Jamie Pollard of Iowa State went after the officials, and he got, I think, 25 k I think they will throw a major fine at Mick Rhodes. But then I'm going to ask, well, where's the accountability of the three guys that are working that mm-hmm. game? Why, why am I seeing them the next day working an important right. game or next week working another important Big 12 game? This is where, and and we've had this, and I've, I've said this, we had some really good older officials that have retired over the stretch of the last few years. We've got this blend of good officials and young officials that are coming up. You've got some odd crews that are together that not necessarily all have the same skill level. Mm-hmm. Is we've got an officiating problem, but this is the problem: is how do you fix it? Right. Does it does it mean the Big Ten latches on to their best guys and they don't let them go anywhere else? You know, these guys are all independent contractors, so, so you pay more. they can they can do their schedule right. and that's what they like to do. They like to have the flexibility. But do you say, hey, I don't need to see Kelly Pfeiffer working in Brookings, South Dakota, on a <laughs> Thursday night? I want to see. Kelly Pfeiffer working two or three Big Ten games mm-hmm. a week. Does that mean we increase the pay? See, there's the we, we, we talk about officiating. We're agitated by officiating. We just want consistency. We just want the rules that are in the rule book to be enforced. Judgment call, I get it. But how do we fix it? That's the biggest thing in the sport, which we are coming up. We are six weeks from today when we're going to be digesting a bracket. When it's on the biggest stage that it is all year, and if we still have an officiating problem, man, it is to the boiling point. You have an AD that's taking shots. Mm-hmm. You have coaches that are agitated, whether they win or lose. We're going to have to find a solution. Maybe the maybe the Big Ten and the SEC get together when they're talking about fixing the college <laughs> football playoff. They talk about fixing officiating across the board, regardless of sport. I, th- I think money is a big part of that. And uh, you use the Kelly Fi for example, of where you know he's doing a Big East game or a Big Ten game one night, and then all of a sudden he's up doing a Summit League game, you know, within a matter of twenty four to forty eight hours. That to me, I, I'm assuming a lot of those, if you talk to officials, why they might be going from you know one of the the bigger marquee matchups that week, and then you find them in a mid or low major game mm-hmm. the following night, is because of money, and because maybe it's more convenient to where they're located, as we know with Kelly Pfeiffer, but. To me, if if that's why you are maybe logging four games a week or four or five games a week in a seven day or seven yeah seven day stretch, I can I, I, there's a human element there of going from place to place to place where you're probably just not going to be as sharp or on your game. So how do you fix that? Well, again, I I like the idea of having essentially conference officials where. Not only are you you're paid to to keep you within the conference, but you also are very familiar with how the styles of play that you're going to see night in and night out. Now, obviously, in non-conference games, there's going to be a little bit more of a, of a broad look at that. But as far as once you get into yeah. conference play, you're so familiar, especially with the, the way that these conferences are expanding. You have so many more teams. There's going to be that familiarity of each style, each player, each personality. Uh, each reputation, you have crews that have, even if it's not the same crew every night, it's crews that have all worked Big 12 games continuously or have worked Big 10 games continuously. And so they're able, again, to get together, even though they didn't work with each other maybe two nights ago, they're able to get together and they know exactly what they're going to see because they've been around them. Again, that's going to take money, but is is that the best solution? I'd be curious to see if you did have basically conference officials that 
are refing just that conference and they're able to do multiple games a week, but they don't have to do three or four because the pay is good per game. Yeah, it's hurting the product. Uh, it's it's not only the inconsistent officiating, but it's also the reviews. Yeah. So Wisconsin-Purdue yesterday, the last 38 seconds of that game took 11 minutes. You know what Butler and Creighton were. Mm-hmm. The total time of that one? Yeah, at the end. Oh, I don't know what the total actual total time was, but I mean, I with mean, the reviews, it was a good ball, game until yeah, the ball. The last, I mean, the every last, time a ball last, would go abound, you knew you were gonna. The last minute must have took about thirty minutes. Yeah, it. That's not an exaggeration. I mean, the yeah. product is the product is really good. Okay, but you can't have that be your storyline. Right. I mean, especially a game women, like that. Women's college basketball is atrocious. They're, they're awful officiating in women's college basketball. And it hurts the product as that product has grown to this national stage. Mm -hmm. We have an officiating issue across the country. We abuse our officials. It is not an easy job. So men and women don't want to officiate. But if they want to officiate, how do we help them? How do they help them so they can help us? And so that we don't have to have this continue to be a storyline. And we, we talked about it a month ago. Is it because social media has more of a place and everything is, you know, digested and diagnosed? Or is it, we just we have some people that probably shouldn't be being given big games that they are. Because, you know, last night was another case of just, if it's in the rules, call it. Mm-hmm. I, judgment call, again, the, the Shannon one didn't expect it. I know I know a lot of people are upset, and I'm getting that right now on, on, on uh, email. But the Wiltshire one, I mean, hmm? Yeah. It just, no, hmm? I don't know. I mean, there's a there's a couple of plays at the end of the Purdue Wisconsin game that went. Eh, eh, eh. Again, I I just I, I want to see a team, and I, I bring up the the Sam Hoiberg one of what should have been a tie up, the team that actually executes full court pressure in those moments and they do it successfully. I mean, that is what you're practicing. That's what you're teaching is to get at the ball, you know, to try to resist contact at, at all costs and try to get to the ball. And, and and they did exactly that. I thought I thought what Sam Hoiberg did was textbook in that situation. And again, to assume the foul is going to be there because seven out of ten times in those situations, there probably is contact, and you know immediately if you don't get the steal or you don't get the ball, you need to foul. Just I, yeah. I, I've seen this in baseball too, where you assume double plays, even though a guy might be completely off the bag and trying to make that throw over to first, like assuming it and it actually happening. It just that's something that drives me crazy. And I, I think this the social media part of this, I think, is a real factor because. I know we were tagged in one of a screenshot of of a travel. I think it was Damask who who had the like the eighty thousand steps. There's all of these different. Yeah, only Caitlin, only Caitlin Clark can get away with that, right? You're, and or we'll, LeBron we'll, James. We'll, we'll call them sleuths because when you see something that doesn't look what you know right to you in, in a call and it wasn't called or maybe it was called and it was it was a phantom call, whatever. People have the ability to stop their TV, go back. And go frame by frame by frame, and then it's put up there. And with all these score yeah, sheets that we get, that, I thought that in real time was pretty easy to diagnose. Oh sure, no, I and, yeah, you didn't need a frame by frame. No, you didn't. But a lot of people do that now with just about everything. And we know the officials' names. There, it's in every box score every time. They're usually mentioned throughout a broadcast as well. You you put those things out there. You you attach their name to it, and then as we know what social media can be like when it comes to criticism it becomes kind of a cesspool. And so I, I do see that as a deterrent of getting very good officials, but I think you hit the key one, and that is having officials in big games 
where you know the pace, the overall emotion in the building, everything is going to be at a greater height. That's There's just some that are probably not going to respond the way that yeah. you would hope they would. I think that's a big problem. There. Yeah, we got to help each other with officiating across the board because people have lost their boundaries to the men and women on the floor or on the field or on the diamond that they feel like they can say whatever. Mm-hmm. We, we, we got to help each other. We we got to be able to understand officiating. Officiating's got to be able to understand the fan. We got to work together because I, I think it's really getting close. I mean, man, just listen to Mick Rhodes. That's an AD yeah. that went nuclear on the officials that worked the Iowa State-Baylor game. Luckily, it's Baylor, so they're used to getting away with stuff. So it should be no big deal when he gets fined. <laughs> well, the, the, wow. and usually... Well, I didn't know you were a member of the Branch Davidians. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it Waco. Usually you're going to get a sort of voice of reason effect when it comes to an athletic director if there was maybe a, a hot moment involving one of their coaches and an official that they'll kind of be the voice of reason. They'll, they'll maybe send off a tone that they are supporting their head coach, but also, you know, we, we try not to do these types of things. We try to respect our officials, but when you completely go the opposite way. And again, I, I the, the Scott Drew part of it, where you had two box violations, I mean, we've spent so many times talking about you had a guy, how you many had a coaches co- get out on a, yeah, a mid-court. that interfered that don't get with the game and actually made contact. He didn't get thrown yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, how many times is t- Tom Izzo is at center court? And there's there's really no warning there too. So yeah. I, I understand the frustration. I, I think in the world of basketball, because that's where I'm I know more officials. We're in a weird transition because we have some older officials and then we have these younger guys, and there is the bottom line of officiating is the physical component yeah. of just being able to physically run up and down the floor and keep up with the action. Women's basketball, the talent has gotten so much better that the officials, for the most part, that work the women's game can't keep up with the game. We're seeing that in men's college basketball where some of the older officials, it's just that's the way the game is played. They mm-hmm. can't they can't get up and down the floor. Now, they're a lot better than that AAU official that you see during the summer when you plunk down all that money to go watch your kid play yeah. and you see an official that barely makes it past half court. At least we still have that. But I think the physical part is another thing. But we got to work together. It's not just one side. we got to work together because – we're, I, I think we're on the tipping point of officiating. Well, and, and with, we're just, it's, 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 it's ugly, man. The boundaries have been eliminated. And we gotta under, we got to understand officiating. Officiating's got to understand us. And we got to all work together. There's got to be accountability. You, you bring up women's basketball here real quickly, too. It, that, that is what is probably the most disappointing part about how many eyeballs are on women's basketball games right now, college women's basketball games. I mean, they're getting, uh, especially with what Caitlin Clark's doing, but also the, the trickle-down effect with all the other teams to have that become part of a story of as you're growing an audience and, and growing it to, to record numbers, that that's still part of the story. My biggest fear is what we've seen in the regular season with the men's side of it. Typically, every now and then you might get it, but typically the story out of the NCAA tournament is not the officiating. If that becomes a bigger part of it, then th- it, maybe that's maybe that's what it's going to take to make have major change, that the big storyline in the NCAA tournament is the officiating. The viewers of the Elite Eight between Creighton and San Diego State would like to talk to you in the yes. green room. I, I, there's, I mean, there's, there's always an example or two, but as far as the collective, Shout like, Lee like after that first Thursday, we're like, man, yeah, there were some upsets, but God, the officiating was terrible across the board. Then we get to that Friday, and it's still yeah. the same. If you start getting into, the, into that neighborhood, 
And we're probably not far away. I mean, the women's national championship. I guess the good and the bad, oh. that'd be very bad for that product the, in a marquee event. The women's final between LSU and Iowa was one of the worst officiated yeah. games of basketball, period. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jimmy's got an update coming up next. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about what this means last night. Uh, the loss at Illinois for Nebraska moving forward. Huge game Wednesday night at Northwestern. And also, I'd be curious on people that watched or were at the Butler-Creighton game. What's your main takeaway from a 99-98 contest won by Butler? Absolute what is going on in that game where it was some elite shot making and defense was optional. But I wonder what people's main takeaway from that game was because I think mine's going to be different than a lot of yours. We'll get into that when we come back. A little bit later, Jake Bigelow stops by. His thoughts on uh, what happened in Champaign yesterday, why he loves Brad Underwood so much. And if Brad Underwood was your neighbor, what kind of a neighbor would he be? Also, Amy just stops by. Mornings with Sharp and Hanley on 1620 The Zone. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.